this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, we're picking up in Acts chapter 2, where we left off uh, a number of weeks ago. I really apologize for this on-again, off-again train where we've had guest speakers kind of coming, Um, but I'm super thankful for those missionaries. I'm super thankful for those guest speakers, but uh, I realize that this particular sermon series has been a little disjointed and been interjected here or there, Um, but I'm excited to pick back up in Acts chapter 2. I've been walking through... uh, characteristics of a spirit-baptized church. Um, I don't always title my sermons or even my sermon series necessarily, but I definitely felt from the Lord that he had given me a, a number of characteristics that he wanted to highlight that I believe should be present in any congregation, in any church that is being led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's coming straight from Scripture examining the early church, seeing what was prevalent in their day, and seeing how it relates to us today. And so in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 43 through 47 has kind of been the the chunk of our text. I'm going to read that for us as we jump into it this morning. It says, Then fear, and we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, talking about the fear of the Lord, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Friends, uh, my prayer as a pastor, my heartbeat for this teaching, my heartbeat for this church, is that Jesus would add to his church, would add to the fellowship of the believers, would add to this congregation daily those who are being saved. And I'm thankful that that, that, in, uh, that in the global aspect of the church is happening. There are people every day that are giving their lives to the Lord, and the gospel is advancing, and people are being saved. But, but I took this a little more personally, and I, I took it before the Lord, and I said, God, I, I want in Pagosa Springs, I want in our community, I want people to be, to be being saved each and every day. I want people to be coming to know Jesus, to be set free from addiction, to be set free from bondage, to be set free from hopelessness every single day. And he, he started challenging me and he started to kind of, a, uh, he started beginning to ask me questions and I really believe it led me down uh, this kind of study in the book of Acts where I want to be a church, I want Open Door Church to be a church that he can trust with adding people to daily. I want this to be a community and a fellowship of believers where new believers, where if, if people are, are coming to the knowledge and faith in Jesus, that they can find a home here where they can flourish and they can foster growth in the spirit. Does that make sense, my friends? That's where my prayer has been. And so while very much I, my prayer has been, Lord, I want you to add to the church daily. I don't want us to confuse that notion 
with this idea that we can kind of just sit back and ride the wave and God's going to do all the work. I know that that's, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to give us too much credit in the equation, but he has given us instruction. He has given us commands. He has commissioned us in such a way to prepare the bride to be a place that fosters spiritual maturity, that, that is a healthy version of his bride that he can add to daily. And so as much as I want to be like, yeah, Jesus, build your church. Yeah, Jesus, do this. There is expectation from us, and uh, I'm thankful that he equips and he, he enables us to fulfill that part. Does that make sense, my friends? I hope you're tracking with me today. And so um, I want to be very clear here, though. Um, there is plenty that we can and must be doing as the bride of Christ to prepare for the great harvest of souls that Jesus wants to bring in. I believe that Pagosa Springs is white for the harvest. I believe that Pagosa Springs is a city that needs revival. I believe that Pagosa Springs is a place where God can move and souls can be saved, but there's work to be done. Amen? Um, I want to be clear, as we're looking at the early church, as we're looking at Acts chapter 2, I don't want to give you this idea that everything they did was perfect. They still made mistakes. Um, they had to pivot constantly. They had a good bit of drama in terms of church leadership where people were like wanting to fight people and like opposing them to each other's faces. They, they made mistakes. They weren't rich. They didn't have all the resources. They didn't have a lot of social clout that they could throw around and kind of influence society with in the beginning. But in the grand scheme of things, this very small movement, right? This very kind of like ragtag group of ragamuffins um, that was this subversive movement changed the world. And it was because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a lot going for them in terms of what should have defined a successful like social movement. But they had the Holy Spirit and that was enough to change everything. And so I want to encourage you, we may not have everything right now. We may not be perfect and we may not have all the answers, but can I tell you that with the Holy Spirit, I believe that he has enabled and empowered us to fulfill what he's asked us to accomplish. And so we're not trying to replicate everything that the early church did. We're not trying to reenact it in like uh, just uh, like perfect mimic uh, kind of um, we're not just trying to replicate it verbatim um, in order to stay in God's will. But we are looking at the early church for patterns, for characteristics, for things that they did right. And we want to implement and we want to emulate that. Amen? Because there was a lot that they got right. And it's things that uh, we need. And I highlighted five of those things. And it's by no means the only five characteristics that we need to look at and we need to implement, but we've been talking about them. The first one was the fear of the Lord, that any church that is going to operate in any kind of successful capacity, anybody that actually wants to follow Jesus is going to have to have this holy reverence, this, this place of honor in their life for the Lord that we talk about as the fear of the Lord. 
last or the last time that I, I spoke, we talked about signs and wonders, and we looked at the scriptural precedent to believe God for miraculous things. And we see it throughout the New Testament. We see it throughout Jesus' ministry that there were signs, there were wonders, there were miracles that were associated with the message of the gospel. And we, we talked about a healthy view of the miraculous. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about supernatural unity and radical generosity. And I'm kind of excited for that because these last three, and the last one that I really wanted to highlight was simplicity of heart and what that means and what godly contentment means. But these last kind of three all blend together um, to where they're, they're really hard to segregate. They're really hard to separate and do a teaching on one without talking about the other. And so we're going to kind of combine two of them today in speaking about supernatural unity and radical generosity. And this is coming um, from the scriptures of what I read here, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So if you turn with me to verse 44, um, it tells us in Acts 2, verse 44, that all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. I want to talk a little bit about what it meant that they were together. It wasn't just like they were in the same place geographically, uh, but it reminds me of what we read at the very beginning of this chapter in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. You might, uh, you might read that and you might be like, okay, you might know it in a different translation, like the New King James or maybe, or maybe like the ESV where it talks about them being together in one accord. You guys, have, uh, you guys have heard that language maybe. It's not talking about a Honda. It's not a car or anything like that. Uh, that was a lame joke. I get it. But uh, <laughs> they were together in one place. And uh, the, what it's speaking of is that they were together with one heart, with one mind. They were united in purpose and passion. They were there for the same reason. There was, a, there was a supernatural unity that existed amongst the early believers where they were gathered together and they were on the same page. You see, when, when we're talking about one accord, when we're talking about this togetherness, when they were together, and we're going to look at some other verses and examples in Scripture, um, it's not just speaking about geography. Um, even though they were physically gathered together in one place, they were together in the sense that they all showed up at the same place at the same time. But it was more than that, and it moved past that. And this is something that I really want us to grasp and understand, that our church is not unified just because we all show up at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Just because you, you claim that, you know, that, that uh, Open Door Church is your church, and uh, you show up here, you worship, and you might fill out a tithe check or something and put it in the offering... That does not equate unity in the spirit. Does that make sense? It's not enough for us to just say, hey, we all go to the same church at the same time if we want to model what biblical Christianity actually looks like. And so if you continue on in verse, 36, or verse 46, um, it tells us that they continued daily with one accord again in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You see, church wasn't just something that they attended once a week. It was who they were. 
right? They, this community of believers were the church and they did life together for lack of like a better uncliched term. They lived together uh, every facet of life. They were worshiping together daily and they were breaking bread in each other's homes. They were sharing in meals and sharing in fellowship at the onset of the church. And I want you to, I want you to think about this. The explosive energy that was behind the church growth movement in like the first century here, right? Where 3,000 people were getting saved daily. Like, whoa, it doesn't say that every day 3,000 people got saved, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> and how rapidly the gospel spread. Um, they were meeting together. They weren't doing church once a week. You know, they weren't just, uh, hey, come back here this time next Sunday. That was not what facilitated rapid spread of the gospel. It was them being invested in each other's lives beyond the scope of a service that really saw the gospel propagate through the known world. And I want to encourage you, friends. I love this. They were breaking, they were going to the temple. They were worshiping. They weren't neglecting that. They were doing that every single day. But above and beyond that, they were meeting together in each other's houses. They were sharing in meals and sharing in the Lord's Supper. And they ate their food, they said, with gladness and simplicity of heart. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. But I want to encourage you. Uh, in scope of unity, and I love that scripture does this and lays this out. Um, friends, I would love if you would consider how to be engaged with somebody maybe that you're different than. Maybe you don't share the same uh, passions. Maybe you don't share the same kind of uh, age range. <laughs> but the, the reality is, is that we need one another. And a great way to do that is over a meal. You know, uh, Judaism was known for their hospitality, and the early church was extremely well known for how above and beyond they took that level of hospitality. That when plagues began to break out, that Christians were opening their homes to all the sick and all the needy at the point of self-sacrifice for those that were sick. And I, I just, I want you to think about this for just a moment if the extent of your fellowship within this congregation has been simply attending but not involved in someone else's life, if there are people here, there are people here that I don't know, that I haven't shared a meal with, that I don't, I don't know your stories, please don't be afraid to bridge that gap. Invite somebody over for dinner. Invite somebody out to coffee. Get to know people beyond just the fact that I recognize that person from Open Door Church. They go there. This must have been their church for the last, you know, number of years. And I kind of go there because, you know, uh, that, that preacher is just really good or something like that. Um, <laughs> I just want you to consider it and think about it. Um, and uh, I, I think it's a, a really easy, practical way to begin to bridge that gap of togetherness. And so, um, I love this, though. Um, I think about the fact that they were gathering together every day. They were worshiping every day. They were meeting in homes. And I, I have to ask the question, was it convenient for them? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> You know, they probably could have found easier, better ways to do things, but they were uh, willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel and the, the health of the church. And so I think, uh, 
I think that it wasn't convenient, not in the slightest, but the most rewarding and necessary things in this life uh, come at the cost of convenience. And I just, I, I know that that's so contrary to everything our culture has deemed necessary uh, or, or kind of a priority. You know, we have everything just built on convenience, right? We've got fast food. We've got microwaves. It's all about how easily you can accomplish something. Um, and that's kind of a big draw for people. But can I tell you that this kind of unity, this kind of supernatural unity is not going to be convenient. It means that you'll probably have to give up some things that you like in order to see this kind of unity fostered. And that's okay uh, because Jesus asks us to do that. Um, <laughs> it's something that he continually says that unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, uh, you, have, uh, you have no business kind of being here. And so the message of Jesus is one of self-denial is one of laying down your interests for the sake of another's. And I think that that is something that we have lost within kind of modern church culture. We want to make things convenient for you. You want to be able to show up and hear three fast songs and two slow songs and have the preacher like preach a message that he downloaded off the internet or something like that and kind of get in and out and do your drive through church. And the reality of it is, friends, I have no interest in that because that's not what I see in the pages of this book. That's not what I see in the life of the early church. And that's not what I see Jesus called us to. Friends, I, I, I honestly cannot understand why some people would want to come to church if the, the, the life of the church experience was just the extent of what we do on Sunday mornings. I love Sunday mornings. I love what we do here. But friends, this is not the best part. This is, this is just kind of like a fragment and it's a sliver and it's a celebration of everything else that we do in this life. Man, I love being able to hit up Elliot and, you know, we go on a yurt trip and we get to really get to know one another and we get to share in passion. We get to share in fellowship. Man, I, I love to be able to go fishing with some of these guys or go hiking and really get to know what's going on in their lives. Man, I, the, the conversations that Joey, you and I have had don't take place on a Sunday morning and the fruit of Jesus in your life didn't just come as a result because, you know, you heard me preach a really good message a couple of times, right? Those conversations, that life that we share in an intentional basis, that day to day, those conversations that we've had over dinner are so much more fruitful than I think we give them credit for. That's not to neglect this gathering. That's not to diminish what takes place here in this building and the preaching and the ministry of the word, but we need them in tandem if we're going to be a healthy representation of the church. But I love this. They were unified. The church was unified in Jesus. I want you to think about this. Over 3,000 people were added to their number in a day. And now these weren't people from kind of the same backdrop of life, you know. These were people that were coming from uh, multiple different cultures, multiple different languages. You remember at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 when the messages were spoken in tongues and they were all different languages that these people from all these different regions heard and they heard the gospel message and they decided to repent and be baptized and the church began to grow. 
Well, you see these foreigners, these visitors that were there, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have places to stay. And so those locals in Jerusalem would invite them in. And we see the need here uh, for practical things to be met. You know, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have resources. And we see this kind of compassion of the people step in to really sustain the work of the ministry. But I look at this and we see this unifying uh, aspect of Jesus really connecting people from different cultures, from different languages, from different races, uh, probably different like political viewpoints in this beautiful family known as the church. Guys, uh, I, say this, uh, I say this cautiously. Um, I have a hard time with kind of highly specialized churches in the sense where they're, they're geared after people's special interests. And I, I say this not because I don't think there's not a place or an avenue for this type of ministry, but, you know, there's cowboy churches and biker churches and these kind of churches that are geared to meet a certain niche of people. And I, I think Paul uh, talks about becoming all things to all people and, and looking at really reaching people with the gospel. But I, I can't help but feel like something is missing if you're in a church with a bunch of people that are exactly like you. Can I tell you, if we, if we gather a bunch of people that are exactly the same, it's easy to kind of get everybody unified on the same page. But I, what I love about the gospel and the message of Jesus is that it bridges racial and political divides. It bridges these gaps that we have in our culture. Um, it bridges age gaps <laughs> to where, honestly, some of my best friends are over twice as old as me. And it's only because of Jesus. I say that in a, in a, hopefully in an encouraging light because I need people that are not like me in my life. And you need people that don't think like you and don't act like you in your life as well. And that's one of the beautiful things about the church is the diversity that it brings. Because I don't think there's really anything supernatural about being unified with somebody that's just like me. Does that make sense? You know, if I agree with you know, Tim on everything, you know, we've got such similar personalities and we're super cool and we both like, you know, snowboarding, even though he doesn't snowboard. I'm just using this as an example. And, you know, he likes ultimate Frisbee and all these other things. Man, of course we could get along, right? But what happens if I meet, you know, what happens if I meet a, a Debbie Schrock who you love to quilt? I couldn't do that in the entirety of my life. You know, uh, you can sing and I can't. You know, I, 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 have a, I, have a, I have a hard time imagining you on a snowmobile. Like, like for real. But I can consider her a sister and a friend in Christ because of what God has done in our lives. Right? And there's something beautiful about the connectedness of a family that bridges gaps that are not just based on social interest. Does that make sense? Now, that's not to say that there isn't a place for connecting socially and enjoying same passions and those things. I think it's a great evangelism tool. I think it's something that's awesome to use. But the reality is, I need Debbie Schrock in my life. We call her D-Rock the Schrock, or D-Schrock the Rock. Oh, messing it up. <laughs> but I say this, is there's a deep need for community if we're going to be a healthy picture of 
uh, of the church, of the bride. Because honestly, when we all get to heaven and we stand around that, that great throne and, and we see the multitudes there, it's not going to be a bunch of white middle-class Republicans, friends. It's going to be people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue around the throne with various degrees of, we're going to be surprised about who's there and probably who's not, um, is what I'm saying. And I think that the, the incredible aspect of what unites people from all different kind of walks of life is the fact that it's solely Jesus. And I look at this, and I think about the, I think about the connectedness that can happen between people that really don't have a lot in common in Jesus. And I look at the state of our culture. I look at the state of our nation. I look at the brokenness that exists in a country that is divided, right? We, we, we're facing a massive kind of cultural, political, uh, economical divide, racial divide, you know, uh, even just a moral divide within this nation of people on all different kinds of the spectrum where, I mean, you can't hardly have a conversation with somebody that, that you don't know without offending some point on their list, right? It's like we, to the place where we just stop talking to people all, anybody else just do that? It's like, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to hear anybody's thoughts or anybody's opinions, or it's just going to all just be a, a show. Um, and we see this, and we see that there's something very broken I believe that the only hope for that is found in Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit. But I believe he wants to use his church to spearhead, to pioneer that kind of reconciliation. And that's going to be impossible to do with a church that's disjointed. If we can't operate in deep unity as the church who has experienced the knowledge and the saving work of Jesus, we have very little hope for that to transform the culture outside the walls of this church. So if, really, um, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But if we continue on, if we, look at, uh, if we look at what it continues to say in verse 44, it says they had all things in common. Now, I don't want you to get confused here in thinking that they were all cowboys or they were all bikers, they were all snowboarders, or they all had the same passions and interests. Because a lot of the times when we say, oh, you have things in common, if I, if I meet somebody, oh, man, we both like playing board games, Braden, right? We're both kind of nerds. We like silly movies and those things. Man, you could say Braden and I have a lot in common. I'm really tall. He's really tall. Like, we're really cool, right? <laughs> I can pretend. I can dream. Um, can you dunk a basketball, Braden? Uh, say no, and then we really do have a lot in common. Woo, okay, see, we have all the things in common. Um, we kind of use this language to talk about interests, right? We use this kind of vernacular to think about, um, you know, our passions, our interests, when we say, oh, we have a lot in common. But what Scripture is talking about here, and it might even be helpful for you to read it in, a, in like the New Living Translation or something like this, when it's talking about having all things in common, it's actually talking about material things. It's actually talking about possessions that they have. And it's this very tangible version of saying, what's mine is now yours. And it's because I see you and I care for you as a brother or sister. What I have is yours because we're in this together. It's this idea of radical generosity. 
And it says in verse 45 that they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You see, the early church was so motivated by compassion. There was such a deep sense of unity amongst the believers and what God was doing that they recognized that they had material needs that needed to be met, that they were willing to set aside and put aside personal preference and live selflessly to see the fulfillment of what God wanted to do. They were willing to sacrifice their own personal dreams, their agendas, their desires, their possessions for the Lord and for the message of the gospel to go forth. We continue and we look at this in Acts 4, verse 32. It says, all of the believers were united in heart and mind. They were together with one accord. And they felt that what they had owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So what's going on here, Nate? Is there a catch? A couple of you in here like, I own a house. Uh-oh, I own some property. Is he going to ask me to sell them all and bring them to the church? Uh, like, like, what's going on? Are we starting a commune here? Like, is this like some kind of early like practice in socialism or communism that we're, le- like, like we're looking at here at the early church? Um, are we all going to go sell all of, our, all of our stuff and bring it here and stockpile it at the church? Guys, no. I would never ask you to do that. Um, Jesus might ask you to sell some stuff and give it to the poor, give it to the church. And I I say this cautiously because I'm not going to tell you that Jesus would never ask this of you. You know, Jesus made some pretty bold claims where he he told, I mean, he told the rich young ruler, "Uh, go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. You know, there are are examples more than we probably want to give, like, attention to, just in our personal, like, selfish desires of Jesus asking people to give up everything to follow him. Um, But I don't see that happening here. And then we're looking at this example in the text as we're looking at the early church. Um, I want to highlight a few things so there's no confusion that's brought, okay? Now, by no means is this like I get off safe, oh, okay, he doesn't expect anything from us or, you know, God doesn't actually want me to give anything away or anything like that. Uh, I just don't think you can look at this example of this narrative in scripture and take it as something that's prescriptive that you have to do. That's why I'm looking at these characteristics of the early church and looking at things for us to emulate and implement things that were true of them that doesn't mean we have to re- replicate them verbatim, okay? I don't want you to think, I don't want anybody leaving here today feeling like maybe you're less of a Christian or you're not following God right because you're not selling your house and putting it on the market so you can come and give $600,000 to the church. I want everybody to be released from that. I'm hoping nobody thought that or felt that already, but I feel like it's important to be abundantly clear that we would never ask that of you. And, uh, and uh, in fact, as I'm looking here, something that makes this unique, makes this story unique, it wasn't even something that the Lord had asked of them 
in terms of like an explicit command. We see this as a free will gesture from what we understand and looking at the scripture. Sure, it was initiated by the Holy Spirit. They put that on their heart. I share this story sometimes. Um, I, a, a number of years ago, I was at, um, we had a ministry team here from the school I was at, and we went to McDonald's, and we were, we were all eating, and I felt like the Lord told me to give one of the, one of the workers there at McDonald's a $100 tip. And, you know, you don't give tips at McDonald's typically. And I was sitting here thinking, like, that's foolish. I barely even have $100. Uh, why would I do that? Like, that's got to be my flesh. That's got to be the devil. That's just me trying to, that's just me trying to do something to make me feel more spiritual. That's obviously. And I, I, remember, I remember the Holy Spirit asking me, when has your flesh ever told you to give away $100? <laughs> For real, if you want to you test whether or not it's the Holy Spirit or not. Um, and I was like, oh, get behind me, Satan. Uh, but uh, the reality was we got to pray for her, and she was extraordinarily blessed, those things. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying here, um, please let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Please let the Holy Spirit direct you in all of this, because it's initiated by the Holy Spirit. Um, but you can very quickly shut that off. You can very quickly tune out his voice um, and not operate on something. And so while this wasn't an explicit command for them to go sell everything they had in order for them to be like part of the real church, um, we do see it as, a, as, a, as something that was happening. And what I believe to be a mark of spirit-filled people is that they will live lives of radical generosity. Now, I'm not talking about you have to go sell everything and bring it to the church or something like this. But I do believe that there is a biblical expectation of you to be generous people in every facet of life where you're looking out for the needs of another before your own. And so we look at this here. Um, I believe what we see happening in the books of, book of Acts is a special. And there's attributes that we should certainly emulate um, and I talked about it being a free will uh, gesture of the believers prompted by the work of the Holy Spirit, um, that it wasn't listed as a requirement, but it was in response to the, what the Holy Spirit had begun to do in them. You see, there was a great sense of family in the early church, one which is lacking in much of the modern church. People were willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of another. And I want, I want you to, I want, if you could take anything home here, if you, could, uh, if you could kind of take a main point, is that to be a part of a church family is going to inconvenience you. Wow, that's something. Yeah, sign me up for that. Whew. To be a part of a loving church family that's walking in unity is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you resources. It's going to cost you money as well as you look out for your brothers and sisters and see needs and the Holy Spirit will direct you to respond. You know, it's not, it's, I believe if we're going to claim to be followers of Christ, it's not enough for us to just show up in a building on a Sunday morning and put a couple bucks in the offering plate as it passes by 
and feel like we've fulfilled our Christian duty for the week. I believe that this is something that we have to engage in 24-7 and that it will inconvenience us. You might say here, like, well, I don't really, I'm not really in the position to help. I'm actually the one that's kind of in need. Anybody, anybody there sometimes <laughs> um, when we're looking at this is like, well, um, I want to I encourage you, friends, that it doesn't take much to live sacrificially. It doesn't take much uh, to make a difference either. I'll share this story because um, I'm a Christian today. I'm still a Christian today because my first time going to uh, the Christian church that I wound up uh, giving my life to the Lord in, I was baptized in and really became my home church. My first time there, I was this young punk teenager who had gone to youth group once and had decided, I think I want to give this Jesus thing a shot. And I showed up to this church, and I really enjoyed the worship. I really enjoyed the message. And, you know, I was excited about giving my life to the Lord. And I came up to the altar at the end and prayed and was just, like, on cloud nine. Like, best day of my life. And there was this little old lady that came up to me. And bless her heart, uh, I wound up getting to know her very well. But she reamed me head to toe for coming into the house of the Lord dressed the way that I was. You see, my parents were heroin addicts, and uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of uh, stuff, and I really only had like two or three sets of clothes. And so for me, friends, I, I came in my Sunday best. But my shoes were tattered and torn, and my toe was kind of hanging out, and you know, I didn't have I didn't have really nice clothes or probably the greatest sense of hygiene as a teenager, but I was excited to be in the house of the Lord. And I remember just being like gutted there. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that uh, the pastor had overheard that remark and that conversation. Rather than letting it slide or be hurt by it, you know what he did? He took me out to lunch. And I had, I had never, that was kind of like the first time anybody had ever just invited me out and paid for a meal for me like that. And I was like, well, this is great. Then we went to the Pueblo Mall, and he went and bought me brand new shoes and clothes for school. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, what? <laughs> as, a, as a young kid, like that, that blew my mind. This was uh, Greg Slaughter. And uh, that changed my life. You know, a simple act of generosity of looking out for the need of another. And was it an inconvenience for him? I'm sure. I'm sure that, you know, on his Sunday afternoon, he probably wanted to go watch the Broncos play or something like that. Um, they definitely weren't playing because this was March. So <laughs> I don't know what happens in March. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, basketball. I don't know. But the reality is he was willing to go out of his way to be inconvenienced. And I mean, I think he spent like $300 on me that day on just clothes as a young punk kid. But I'm still, I, I still, I came back to his church. <laughs> and I know Jesus today because of that simple act of, uh, the, just that simple act. Him and his wife, Michelle, blessed a young punk kid that really didn't, really didn't know a lot. Anyway, I, I share all that. I, I want to I end today with this. 
Um, Philippians 2, this is what Paul kind of instructs us in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, this is a rhetorical question, there is. There's any comfort of love, there is. If any fellowship of the Spirit, there is. If any affection and mercy, Paul says this, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. I could preach that. We could break that down. We could talk about it, but it kind of means what it says. My prayer, friends, for our church and my prayer for this family is that we would embrace a sacrificial, selfless kind of love for one another where we would be keen to see the need. Because how many of you guys know being in need uh, is not always fun? And I probably wouldn't have asked, uh, hey, Pastor Greg, hey, Miss Shelley, uh, I don't have another pair of shoes. Could you help me out with that? You know, that, that isn't something that, you know, is a strong suit for a lot of us, is asking for help when we're in need. But it says here that we're to actively look out for the interests of others. It doesn't say completely neglect your own, but it does say that we have to look out for the interests of others. And I want us to be on the I want us to be on the outlook of how we can help, of how we can serve. I want us to have the mentality of seeing people in this congregation, of seeing people in this fellowship, of seeing people in this community that need a family. Because my story is not just a unique one. It's rampant. And a lot of us have resources, a lot of us have time, a lot of us have homes and tables that have empty seats in them that we could fill. And my desire is that we would move past this idea that church is just something we show up to, but that we would grow in unity of having a like mind, of having the same love for one another, of being in one accord, to be with one passion, with one purpose. We wouldn't do anything with this selfish ambition or vain conceit, but that in humility that we would esteem others as better than ourselves. That's hard. That's not something that we can just do better at. We need the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.